This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with Fingers crossed, everybody knows the war is over, everybody knows the good guys lost, everybody knows the fight was fixed, the poor stay poor, the rich get rich, that's how it goes, everybody knows. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. How is everyone tonight? Enjoying this miraculous, uh, well, it's not miraculous, it's spring after all, but this absolutely exquisite weather. I had a... um, such a relaxing uh, weekend uh, in Brantford, visiting uh, my mom and sisters and uh, took the boys and... uh, uh, here's a, a rite of uh, a passage for uh, uh, young children. They they spent. Geez, I don't think I can get in trouble for this. Who knows though in the uh, the current climate. Anyway, they were running around my sister's backyard for the better part of half a day, completely starkers, in and out of the pool, and just running around. They're three and a half, so uh, if not at three and a half, when else are you going to get the opportunity to run around uh, in your birthday suit and uh, just having a wonderful time. Uh, anyway, we are going to embark on a, a two-hour voyage here and discuss something that actually, I think, has been, in many people's minds, sort of put on the back burner. Uh, and, and I'm talking about the secret plan to merge Canada, the United States, and Mexico. The last time I talked about the North American Union on the radio... Uh, was probably a year and a half ago, and I had uh, Jerome Corsi on the show, uh, who is really one of the early, I suppose, um, whistleblowers. Uh, He was one of the originals who started talking about this, and then uh, after uh, Jerome uh, wrote a book about it, uh, people like uh, Lou Dobbs started talking about it. And uh, the last time I had uh, Jerome Corsi on the show to talk about it, he said that it was effectively dead, North American Union. That the, uh, I guess the, the architect of the, uh, the SPP had said that there was such a, a hue and a cry, such opposition 
and that it become the, 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 the secret plans had become public domain in essence. So they decided to quietly back away from it. And I remember saying to Jerome Corsi at the time, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe they're just going further underground. These bureaucrats that are uh, uh, in these various working groups, working behind the scenes to end our sovereignty. And I said, we're going to have to keep an eye on it. But, and, and lo and behold, we really haven't heard much about North American uh, Union and the plans uh, to, to, uh, to merge our, our countries secretly without parliamentary congressional approval into one super state like the European Union, one common currency. And uh, then, uh, lo and behold, we had uh, President Calderon from Mexico visiting and addressing our parliament recently. And Prime Minister Stephen Harper declaring that Canada and the Mexicans are essentially one. We are one. I thought that was interesting coming from someone, namely Stephen Harper, who has time and time again denied uh, plans to merge the three countries, even denied the reality of a superhighway that's being constructed, this super corridor, all the way from the uh, Texas panhandle all the way up to the, uh, the, the Manitoba border, which will allow all of the, uh, the cheap uh, imported goods from China to flood into the United States. They'll be placed on Mexican trucks with little regulation, and they'll be allowed to, uh, to travel uh, without having to stop through customs right up into Canada. It's already underway, it would, it, it would appear, and yet certain politicians are still denying it. Of course, we have now the G20 and the G8 scheduled to come up here. Uh, so there will be protests. However, I, I think it's worth a revisit, North American Union, that is, in particular uh, because joining me in studio are two young uh, filmmakers, two brave filmmakers who have tackled this subject head-on. And their latest documentary is called United We Fall, Three Nations, Two Sides, One Union. And this documentary, I happen to be in it. It'll be my motion picture theatrical debut. If you can imagine this face up on the big screen, uh, if you're brave enough, you can... Uh, <laughs> no, you should come out and see it. At the, at the, at the worldwide theatrical premiere of United We Fall will be screened on Friday, June the 18th at the Bloor Cinema here in uh, town. I believe uh, at 7 o'clock. I'll be presenting the film and uh, along with, of course, our dear friend from Conspiracy Culture, Patrick White. And the two filmmakers, as I say, in studio, Brian Law and Dan Dix. Brian, Dan, welcome. Thanks for having us on. Thank you very much. Was my... uh, was I correct in, in, in stating that it, it seems to have almost fallen off the map, this whole issue for the last little while, North American Union? No one's clamoring about it, I mean, except for you two. Uh, yeah, they're certainly trying to keep this uh, type of thing under wraps, that's that's for sure. Um, like, the, the idea that the SPP is dead, like you mentioned before, that uh, Corsi said... Um, yeah, I mean, this thing has uh, not really been uh, on the forefront. Uh, certainly mainstream media is not talking about it. Well, 
when Corsi said that now the uh, the the architect of this was it Robert Priestley? Uh, uh, Robert Pastor. Pastor. Robert, Robert Pastor. Pastor. Thank you. I knew it was something that sounded somewhat clerical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Priestley Pastor. Robert Pastor. Uh, he. Uh, he was the one who said that there's been such a hue and a cry about this that we've decided to back away. And my my initial response was, no, he's saying that so that he'll basically sort of deflect further scrutiny uh, and that this thing will just simply go under under the radar to even a greater extent. Now, for those that aren't aware of sort of the genesis of this, take us back to, I think it was 2005, uh, we had um, uh, Prime Minister Paul Martin, President George Bush, and I believe it was Vincente Fox of Mexico at the time, mm-hmm. um, yeah. meeting in Crawford, uh, Texas, at uh, the Bush Ranch. Mm-hmm. What was discussed there? And tell us, explain what this SPP thing is all about. Well, the SPP was initially a, a working group set up between the three countries. After um, September the 11th, they wanted to keep the borders open, so they felt that by coming up with uh, new regulations on trade and trying to harmonize certain policies between the three countries, it would allow for products to be shipped a lot easier between the three countries. Um, and in meeting in their in their first meeting, they ended up uh, uh, signing an initial agreement um, between the three leaders without any congressional approval without any approval from the people in the three countries um, signing into certain agreements that would harmonize regulations on uh, you know they started talking about regulations on the height of bumpers on on cars and things that that made it seem quite trivial but beyond this um, there was also uh, mention of you know eventually harmonizing regulations to include things uh, such as a customs union or a, a common currency or having a single external tariff and if people know the history of the European Union it started off with a a uh, a, a trade deal it started off as just a, a trade community an iron and steel community and they built on it throughout the years and over a 40-year period, it became the European Union with a single currency. So I think given that historical example, people can draw a parallel on what was happening in 2005 with, uh, you know, you have, you have a post-NAFTA, post-9-11 world of, you know, everybody needs to, to be on the same page in terms of security, a common security perimeter around North America. Um, we need uh, single policies to make our, our economies flow better. And all of this um, was done in, in private meetings, um, like I was saying, without any approval from any of the people, without any voice of any of the people in the three countries. And um, I, I don't think it's really gone underground as much as it's become more public these days. I think people are now seeing the, the North American Leaders Summit. The, the SPP uh, doesn't exist in name anymore. It's now the North American Leaders Summit. But Essentially, the the agenda continues. It's SPP standing for Security, Security and, and Prosperity, Prosperity Partnership. Partnership. Yeah, and essentially they wanted to come up with uh, a set of regulations that would um, that would equate the three countries on the same level in terms of a security apparatus. What three countries would have to do, uh, letting people into all of their three borders from outside uh, North America, and um, how they could equalize and, and harmonize uh, trade. Um, in order to facilitate trade in the three countries. But with this comes harmonization of social policies. It comes with the harmonization of uh, certain political policies. And uh, it's, it's a certain progression that I think people can draw from the 
European Union to, to see where we're heading with this. So, Brian Law, Dan Dix, Press for Truth. And the uh, documentary is United We Fall, Three Nations, Two Sides, One Union. How do you feel about a North American Union? Perhaps some of you one-worlders out there think this is a wonderful thing. It's inevitable. Is it one more step along the road to one-world government? You tell me at 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. And toll-free from out of town, from Maine to Minnesota, and Thunder Bay to the Carolinas, 1-866-740-4740. The discussion here, and certainly I've been part of it and, and an advocate of it in a way, is that Canada, U.S., U.S. should seek to have a deeper type of integration with more predictable rules. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To get to the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. That uh, clip you heard coming out of the break was from United We Fall, Three Nations, Two Sides, One Union, the filmmakers responsible in studio, Brian Law and Dan Dix, from uh, Press for Truth. That is an uh, independent alternative uh, media outlet and the website pressfortruth.ca, and you can see a, a teaser for the, uh, the documentary at the website. Was that Alan Gottlieb that we heard? Okay, and he's uh, Alan Gottlieb, a former Canadian ambassador to uh, Washington, who was part of the negotiating team, I believe, for uh, for NAFTA. Uh, he was actually instrumental in um, the signing of the free trade agreement. Yes, yeah, NAFTA. Um, All right. Yeah. Now, it's it's funny the the language that he uses, and many many uh, who who talk about the need uh, for greater integration use this very vague fairly innocuous uh, language that, on the surface, most people might not even have a problem with. You know, further integration, sort of uh, solidifying our partnership, because it's been very incremental. We had the auto pack in 1965, mm -hmm. and many people benefited from that. I mean, the Canadian auto industry arguably flourished as a result. Uh, and some say we did better under the, the auto pack than the Americans did. Uh, and then, of course, we had uh, NAFTA, and so this is sort of one more brick in the wall. But for those listening, uh, and they've heard you, know, you describe it, uh, uh, what SPP means, and they just heard Alan Gottlieb, and they're still saying, well, I, you know what, I really don't understand what the big deal is. Why, why wouldn't we want to have of, you know, a greater mobility of, of, uh, of labor, for example, so that I can go down and work in uh, Texas if I want without having to get a green card or someone uh, from Mexico who's qualified to come up here uh, to, do, to do some work. Why shouldn't we have that? that? Why shouldn't we have uh, uh, more free trade, greater flow of goods, uh, all ships rise with the tide, all those cliches, we've heard that. Isn't free trade good for everybody? Well, that's certainly why they use those terms. Uh, free trade sounds good. Everybody wants trade. Uh, security and prosperity partnership, you know, everybody wants prosperity. Everybody wants security. These things sound good at first. Um, but really the problem with it is the fact that 
it's you can sum it up as it's the centralization of power into fewer hands uh, essentially is what's going on uh, this thing can actually be tr- traced back even further you could you could take it back as far as the general agreement on trade and tariffs i believe that was 1948 um, so they indeed are doing these things incrementally um, so from the gat we go to the fta uh, next move would be the nafta and then following that yeah the spp and now we have the North American Leaders Summit. So they, they do move uh, incrementally. Explain what the uh, the superhighway is, this corridor, this huge uh, transportation corridor from Texas up to the, the border at uh, Manitoba. What's that all about? And how does that relate to, to the North American Union? Well, the, the trade corridor starts at a, uh, a port in Mexico on the Pacific side. It's essentially to bring uh, Chinese goods, cheap Chinese goods in um, and using uh, Mexican labor to drive uh, products directly up. Uh, and I should say that some of the highways are already existing highways. And, and when they look at this NAFTA superhighway, essentially those are existing interstate highways that they found uh, the, the quickest route that goes directly through the heart of the country up through Kansas and then branches off into Canada to go to the uh, main trade and distribution areas in Canada. Um, they are widening some of these sections of the highway. But Essentially, the problem with this is is when you when you allow somebody from a Pacific port in Mexico to ship something within a 24-hour period from Mexico all the way up into Canada, and there's not any sort of regulation stopping at certain borders, it comes with diseases. Safety standards, safety are different, standards obviously. are, are going to be different, and. When you're allowing people to travel uh, freely at that at, at that level, it also comes with uh, you know certain sort certain new uh, security uh, badges and, and passports that you would need that I personally wouldn't want uh, as a as a North American. Such as biometric identification is something that they talked about in the 2005 Council on Foreign Relations uh, Task Force report. They mentioned biometric identification for people out there is uh, basically using identifiers that are unique to every person. Your fingerprints. Your retinal scan, uh, your your uh, blood type could even be used as a biometric identification. But they don't they don't need North American Union to usher in many of those no. arrangements. They're already doing that with the uh, Nexus card. Yes, yeah. it's, it's supposedly voluntary. Except pretty soon you won't be able to fly without it. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need to bring about you know one super nation in order to do that. So how do we go from? from uh, the Security and Prosperity Partnership to all of this talk about uh, one world government. Well, it's a, it's a slow incremental process. I mean, it, it's what comes after you have uh, uh, big trading blocks such as a, a European Union, an Asian Union, an African Union, a North American Union. Well, in our film, uh, one of the, the, the architect of the Amero currency describes it quite simply. Once you have all of these big trading blocks, regional trading blocks, they can get together and discuss ideas for harmonizing regulations among the big trading blocks. And essentially, if if you can centralize power into the hands of a few people, um, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer in the process. And, and uh, You mentioned the Amero. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the, uh, the, the legends, quote, end quote, that uh, the Amero is going to replace the, uh, the peso, the U.S. dollar, and the Canadian dollar. We'll have one common currency, much the same as the, uh, the euro in Europe. Uh, and um, there are even some reports that it's already been uh, printed. 
there was a mint down in Denver, supposedly, that, um, that printed, and some of these leaked out. And, and I even heard reports that some of them, it was already in circulation in Russia and in China at some point. I've not been able to substantiate these rumors. Mm-hmm. But talk to me a little bit about, about the Amero. Whose idea was it, and what's the idea behind it? Well, the idea was uh, essentially uh, created by a uh, professor at Simon Fraser University and part of the Fraser Institute. His name is Herbert Grubel. He wrote a case study in 1999 called The Case for the Amero. It's about 110 pages long. Anybody can find it on the Fraser Institute's website. And essentially, he was trying to say, okay, uh, the European Union now has the euro, one currency for a large block that everybody can use. And there's no difference in currencies. The, the, the fluctuation exchange rates don't change. Wouldn't that be a great idea to have for, let's say, North America? And he wrote a case study uh, trying to prove his case for an Amero currency, and that was what he he named it, was the Amero, and essentially it would be a North American currency. Uh, He proposed it initially as starting off with having an Amero currency as an option that people can use and eventually slowly, incrementally phasing out the other currencies throughout the years as people get used to using a North American currency. And repetition, repetition is the easiest form of propaganda. You repeat something often enough and people will go for it. What's the downside of having one common currency? Well, who gets to print it? Who gets the control of that? You know, his idea would be that the U.S. would get 70% control initially and Canada would get 15% control and Mexico would get 15% control in terms of the policy-making apparatus over the currency. In other words, controlling the money supply and the control of the money supply is, uh, is obviously an important instrument in fiscal policy in terms of, uh, of yeah. controlling inflation. If you control the money, you control the country. You control everything. Everybody uses money. If you control who prints the money and how much money you can put into circulation, you can control the rise and fall of any country you want. John D. Rockefeller would be doing uh, uh, 360s in his crypt right now because, of course, he said, uh, you know, uh, I think it was Rockefeller or perhaps it was Rothschild who said, uh, uh, give me control of the money and I care not uh, who who makes the laws. Mm -hmm. So um, are you then convinced... That this is going, uh, this is going to happen. This is going to be pushed through without parliamentary consent, uh, without congressional consent. I mean, w- w- at what stage are we along the road to seeing North American Union becoming a fait accompli? Um, yeah, well, they they have stated uh, in some of the the minutes of their meetings. They have said that. Um, you know, 2010 was supposed to be the beginning of this thing. Uh, now, how much of the beginning do they mean? Uh, I don't know, but they clearly um, are pushing to get this thing started very, very soon. Um, they have stated that they would like 2010 to to be the beginning of this this North American Union. Again, how much do how much of the beginning do they mean? I don't know. Well, when you say they and the minutes, well, first of all, how did we get a hold of the minutes? Was that like a FOIA request that you made, Freedom of Information, or and and who who is they? Well, they would be uh, largely the Council on Foreign Relations um, and also the Bilderberg Group. Um, and the Trilateral, Trilateral Commission is also uh, involved. Um, but for, for the um, North American Union, it's largely uh, the, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, mm-hmm. who are really pushing for this thing. Okay, and how did we get a hold of the minutes? Well, the the Council on Foreign Relations in 2005 had a task force called Building a North American Community in which they got people from all three countries in Canada, U.S., and Mexico to get together and start discussing, okay, 
we have NAFTA now. Where can we move beyond NAFTA? What can we do beyond NAFTA that will help us, you know, get richer and, and help our economies and, and help our security? And, and they essentially got together and tried to create um, a report. And in this report, they called for the creation of a North American initiative plan. I believe they were calling it the Security and Prosperity Initiative at that point. And later on that year, you have the Security and Prosperity Partnership started up by the leaders, the Leaders Initiative. So... The Council on Foreign Relations uh, Task Force report is public information. They publish it. It's just the majority of people don't have time to read this stuff, and they don't really even know who the Council on Foreign Relations are. I mean, they've just recently done a nice little propaganda piece supporting their, you know, we are the Council on Foreign Relations, a nice non-governmental, non-partisan policy-making group, and we just discuss uh, very light subjects, and that's not what the Council on Foreign Relations is about. They've been around for nearly, I, I think, almost 100 years now. They're coming up on, on 80, 90, 100 years that they've been around discussing policy, and, and, uh, and they are the shakers and movers in terms of the political world. I mean, whether or not they want to admit that their policies get taken up by politicians, well, a lot of their members are politicians. Um, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the most famous politicians out there have been at one time or another members of the Council on sure. Foreign Relations. Sure. Every, every cabinet yeah. in the U.S. is littered with CFR members. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I believe the current occupant of the White House, uh, his, uh, the First Lady, is a CFR member, if I'm, I'm, I'm not 100% certain about that. But, uh, now, when you talk about um, – actually, you know what? I, I think I owe um, Dan Ellison a break over there. So why don't we get that out of the way, Dan, and when we come back, I want to ask you about who's really behind this. I mean – the Trilateral Commission, the, the CFR, the Bilderbergs, they are made up of not only uh, public figures and, and politicos, but also private interests. And when we talk about cheap goods coming in from China, being loaded onto uh, to, uh, uh, boxcars or, or, or tractor trailers and uh, rolling north, I think cheap goods in China, I think, let's face it, I think a Walmart. Let's find out who are some of the the corporate. Let's name some names. Mm -hmm. Dan Dixon, Brian Law. When the Conspiracy Show continues in a moment. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. United we fall, three nations, two sides, one union. Worldwide theatrical premiere, Friday, June the 18th at the Bloor Cinema here in Toronto. You can uh, buy tickets at the door. I believe it's $10, or you can order in advance through conspiracyculture.com. Just uh, log on to the site and uh, the, uh, the phone number for the shop down on uh, Queen Street West, 1696 Queen Street uh, West. And uh, speak to Patrick White there, and you can order your tickets and uh, I will be presenting the film along with Patrick and also conducting a short Q&A session prior to the screening. And uh, I'm also thrilled, actually, to have been uh, featured in the documentary, along with some, some Bilderbergers, some members of the Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, 
Um, Alex Jones is in the uh, in the picture, mm-hmm. uh, a former uh, industry, trade, and commerce minister under Paul Martin's uh, um, government, John Manley, I believe. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. now the president of the Canadian Council of Chief Executives. The Canadian Council of Chief Executives. Uh, Dan Dix and Brian Lyon, studio, the filmmakers. Pressfortruth.ca is the website. You can see a, a trailer there. Now, Manley says something very interesting in the documentary. He, you actually get him on camera saying maybe sovereignty isn't a good idea anymore. Mm-hmm. He actually said that. I mean, you didn't, you didn't take that out of context. That's what he said, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you get him to say something like that? Does he know what he's admitting to? Does he care? Well, the, the, in, on, on the basis of the question in terms of a globalized economy, he was explaining that, you know, in the eyes of a global economy, maybe national sovereignty is not such a good thing anymore. It doesn't work in terms of everyone uh, being on the same scale in terms of a global, uh, glo- making global regulations and global rules. And I mean, if you look at it from a globalist point of view, national sovereignty is, is exactly uh, opposite to globalism. You know, the, the nation state is the, is the enemy of globalization. Sure. I mean, if you're an, an absolute um, pure capitalist, uh, you know, borders uh, and, uh, and uh, differing cultures, uh, provo- you know, they put up a, a roadblock to the free flow of capital. And that's an anathema to, uh, to you know, to hardcore uh, capitalists. But I, as I've always said, when people say, well, what do we, you know, nationalism, look what happens as a result of nationalism, we get wars and so forth. But without the, the nation state, who else is going to safeguard your, not that they always do a great job and we love to complain about our governments. And I think that's kind of the conspiracy. They want us to complain and hate our government so that we'll embrace, you know, this utopian mm. one world government. But without the nation state, there are no safeguards for our, our inalienable rights. And, and as I always say, if you think your government is distant and unresponsive in places like Queen's Park in Ottawa, think of what it'll be like if it's in The Hague or, I don't know, uh, Bern, Switzerland or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, tell us about some of the other people that you were at, uh, some Council on Foreign Relations people that you interviewed for the film. Well, the Council on Foreign Relations person for the film uh, would be, uh, there was John Manley. He worked on the Council on Foreign Relations ta- Task Force. Actually, he was a co-chair on the task force. So he was one of the three people leading the Council on Foreign Relations Task Force, building a North American community. Alan Gottlieb was one of the people on the task force as well. So, uh, and Robert Pastor was uh, a member of the task force. Um, uh, and we'd interviewed all three of them uh, for the film. Um, and got their opinions on, on what they think about national sovereignty and the push towards greater integration in a North American community, in their words, which I think is tantamount to a North American union. Yes, Pastor has always said, I've never talked about integrating a North American union. I've only talked about a community, which is to me is parsing terms. But I mean, when you talk, when you mention specifically North American union, the Amero to these people, do they deny it? No, they just say, well, why should we debate in the marrow right now? We're too far away. In fact, I think in the film, it, what, he, what he says is, let's leave the people who are going to talk about one currency, leave them aside for now. We have many things to deal with before we can even entertain one currency or entertain the possibility of uh, having elected representatives to represent people in North America, which to me is... I would, I don't know, I'd use the term absolutely monstrous in terms of trying to come up with some sort of a harmonizing regulations without having any sort of representatives for anybody on on any board and you want to leave that until last, that has to be the first step 
is having representatives for people to voice their opinions on what they think is right and wrong. And how, how many working groups, I mean, after they, they announced or after this secret agreement, or I don't even know how secret it was, maybe they were public about it, this SPP down in, uh, in Crawford, Texas in 2005. But, I mean, how, how does it operate from there? Do they break off into, like, working groups with these unelected bureaucrats sort of trying to find ways to harmonize regulations between Mexico, the United States, and Canada? Is that how it works? Um, well, uh, essentially, the, one of the working groups, you wanted to, to name some names of who's profiting from a North American yeah, who's economy. who's really pushing this? Well, if you want to look into it, I, I tell all the viewers out there to type in the North American Competitiveness Council, NACC, and there you will find 30 corporations that sit on a board who have direct policy making or direct access to the policy making um, over the SPP, which was now the the North American Leaders Summit. And some of these corporations include uh, General Electric, uh, Walmart is on there, the Home Depot is on there. Um, you know, some very big corporations who would stand to benefit from this. How would how would the average citizen out there benefit from this if you own a mom and pop's operation? Well, anybody who owns a mom and pop's operation knows just how good Walmart is for their business. So how will you give how are you going to benefit from this if you have a a multi-million dollar business, you do international trade, you have a corporation where you sell off uh different um you know, you sell off different factions all over all over the world to different countries. Yeah, you would benefit from this. If you if you own a a single restaurant business, you, you might not stand to benefit from it. You might see your your rights starting to be compromised for the sake of the global economy. How would it how would it impact on uh, universal health care, for example? On universal health care? Yes. I mean, um, well, I mean, I don't know if you want to feel that one, which, but uh, in terms of Canadian, universal yeah, would it, would it be the end of universal well, health care? Would it be en- would it be the end of our our uh, social safety net up here? Well, I think down in the states, they're they're, they're pushing for for uh, their universal health care down there. They want they want state sponsored health care down in the states. They just passed the bill. They got it right, down there. Right. I think that's an attempt to harmonize regulations even further amongst the three countries, so that when it comes time to join them together, how we would stand to benefit from it. Well, in terms of a capitalistic viewpoint on it, well, any time that you give power to a certain group of people, well, they're not going to try and harmonize it to the highest possible regulations. They're going to cut corners and. I mean, if you even look at uh, Canadian um, Canadian rules on on what we are allowed to put on pesticides for foods, well, we're not allowed to use uh, certain things that we used to ban putting on foods for pesticides. Well, in order to harmonize your regulations with the states so that you can receive foods from the states, you're not going to harmonize it to the highest possible standards and ask the United States to stop putting dangerous pesticides in their food. You're going to get rid of the Canadian ban on your food's pesticides and allow... Lowest so, I mean, common denominator. Lowest common denominator. What about uh, the, uh, the, uh, the military? I mean, I, I know that there was a, uh, a not-so-widely-publicized agreement that was struck between the United States and, the, and Canada back in, uh, oh, I think it was around February 2008, maybe, where they signed this agreement which would allow United States troops to cross over into Canada and vice versa uh, if there was some sort of a calamity. And, and again, they were very vague in the language. What, what constitutes a calamity? It could be civil unrest. It could be a natural disaster. Is that part of the, uh, the, the North, North American Union? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that was on uh, Valentine's Day, that one. Yeah, 2007, uh, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. They signed the agreement. It was in between two military leaders, too. People should understand that this wasn't politicians signing this deal. This was a couple of military leaders signing a deal 
um, and shaking hands between this. There wasn't there wasn't any discussion in my parliament. I didn't vote for this. I didn't yeah, how, say okay. If there is an international treaty that has to be ratified by certainly in the United States, it has to be ratified by Congress, and in Canada, it has to be ratified by by Parliament. How can they legally do this? Is what they're doing absolutely illegal? Is it treasonous? I think it borders on. I, I think, think it borders on treason. treason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it borders on uh, some of the stuff they're doing. I think borders on on treason. Um, you know, it, it all it all ends up boiling down to you know a powerful group making a decision for a group of people who aren't even aware the decision has been made. I think if people were aware of a lot of the stuff that was going on, I think there would be a revolution overnight. But I think people are so held up in the the entertainment news and the you know what's going on in your on your TV and all the TV shows and the trash media that's out there that it's it's essentially. It's, it's dumbing down the culture a little bit. They're not standing up for their rights anymore, and they're not even aware that, that it's being signed away overnight to people who aren't even voted in by them. Let's go to Keith in Rochester, New York. Hello, Keith. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. <clears throat> All right. Keith has uh, registered his vote. <laughs> All right. Uh, 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. We disconnected from Keith. If you... Uh... If you got knocked off the line, Keith, uh, call back. 1-866-740-4740. 1-866-740-4740. we be back in a moment with uh, more of my conversation with Brian Law and Dan Dix from PressForTruth.ca. And again, the film is United We Fall, the worldwide theatrical premiere, Friday, June 18th at the Bloor Cinema in Toronto. Tickets $10 at the door, or you can order through Conspiracy Culture. ConspiracyCulture.com. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Worst case scenario, it's the end of Canada, the end of the United States, the end of Mexico as we know it, the end of our national sovereignty, the end of all the trappings uh, of a nation-state. Perhaps not. Maybe they'll keep the trappings of the nation-state. We'll still have the parliament buildings. We'll still have our flag so that we think we're living in an independent uh, nation-state. But that will not reflect the reality. And uh, I guess if you really want to get bleak, you look at um, a documentary by Alex Jones, Endgame, where he uh, he talks about the uh, this superhighway, this uh, uh, corridor across the North America, where off ramps to some of these small towns in Middle America and so forth will be closed, so that these little towns will have no access uh, to this transportation corridor. They'll be left to sort of wither and die, and the end game is that everybody under this North American Union plan is to be herded into bigger and bigger cities. So you'll have, and, and then the rest of the, 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 the country, uh, Canada, the United States, will be rewilded uh, under the auspices of the United Nations. In fact, Ted Turner has been buying up huge swaths of land throughout, throughout the United States and that these will be turned over to the Sierra Club and, and so forth. And they'll just be 
turned into huge forests and they want to introduce wildlife. And this is all sort of the, the, uh, the utopian one world uh, uh, government. It's not so utopian though because it's more of a dystopia. Well, yes, because in order to do that, herding people into larger cities, uh, it's going to require some depopulation. Hmm. Not only moving forcibly, re, you know, removing people from um, smaller settlements, but re, and relocating them. I mean, that that's Hitlerian. That's sort of the worst case scenario under a North American Union. Uh, best case scenario, people might look to Europe and say, "Hey, the European Union has worked pretty well." They had to do something over there. I mean, France and Germany and Britain. Uh, basically, we're going to war every 50 years, and it was causing you know a huge disruption and death and pestilence and all the rest. So, if they can't get along, they might as well, you know, a shotgun wedding might be in order. However, you'll have to decide. Uh, Dan Dix and Brian Law are uh, here in studio on the Conspiracy Show, and uh, their film once again is United We Fall. Uh, let's go to the phones and let's say hello to Jim is in Erie. Is that Erie, Ontario, or Erie, Pennsylvania, Jim? That's Erie, Pennsylvania. All right. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Thank you. I, I was just thinking, I was listening to the uh, discussion, and uh, I think it's very apropos that the discussion is occurring this evening, uh, the evening before the official uh, Memorial Day uh, observation, observance here in, in the United States, because... Uh, we will, uh, we will lose our uh, national sovereignty. We've lost it to a large degree already. Um, I spent all of my adult life working in the labor movement uh, to represent working people and their families and uh, happened to uh, negotiate with the number one corporation you mentioned at the top of the list of those corporations who are seeking to establish this type of a system, uh, the General Electric Company. And uh, they, what they say goes. I mean, there's no question that GE has always been uh, in the presidency or regardless of party or any, any type of thing such as that. But I think what we're going to see, and I hope I'm wrong because generally I'm an optimist, but I just see so many signs that you gentlemen uh, this evening are discussing uh, where there are treaties being made uh, regardless of whether Congress even knows that they exist or not. Uh, the 911 uh, tragedy that set the stage for the Patriot Act here in the United States, which severely restricts our civil liberties. And you can see them setting the table. It's just like watching a pool game. They're setting the table for the eventualities that they want to have uh, be the outcome uh, down the road. And I really urge all of your listeners uh, to see the film produced by the gentleman that are there with you tonight, and also to see a film which I really believe is going to be, sadly, a, a repeat of what is going to happen in the next 20 years, and that is The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, that is an excellent movie. It shows exactly what working people had to go through uh, before they were able to organize. And they've uh, basically crippled the labor movement in this country and in most countries uh, because of restrictive laws and taking away unions' right to organize and free elections. Uh, 
So you're going to see that. I, I'm afraid to say you're going to see, you know, working people who are going to be destitute and running between North American, former North American countries, Canada, U.S., uh, Mexico, even in, eventually it will spread to South America. There's no question about that. And I think they've all had meetings uh, years ago to divvy up the world between China, the U.S., and the former Soviet Union. And uh, we get our share over in this part of the globe, and then they take their share over there. But uh, you see declining living standards since NAFTA has taken place and every country that's been affected. Uh, this whole hullabaloo about immigration in the U.S., uh, it's the same old movie that took place when the Italians and the Polish and the Irish came into the U.S. Uh, when there was economic disarray and, of course, uh, the system wanted to blame it on the immigrants and create uh, discord and conflict within the working class. So it's just like watching a movie, and I, I really commend you, you gentlemen uh, for putting this out uh, to a larger audience because, very frankly, uh, younger people, I have found, have no clue have absolutely no clue about history whatsoever. All right, Jim, I, I hate to cut you short, but I appreciate the call. Uh, thanks for uh, that from Erie, Pennsylvania, checking in here on The Conspiracy Show. We'll take a time out. Dan Dix, Brian Law from PressForTruth.ca, the website, the, uh, the movie, United We Fall. Just a, a programming note. At uh, 12 midnight, which will be approximately 6 a.m. Botswana time, just going to take a little time out from our discussion on North American Union to check in and check up, really, on my uh, my niece, uh, Claire Gemmel, who is over there uh, working with uh, orphans and uh, helping to build houses for uh, orphans uh, with uh, AIDS and HIV or who were orphaned by AIDS. And she's really doing uh, very commendable work over there. And I just uh, want to make sure she's safe and sound, so we'll try to raise her on the, uh, the phone all the way from Botswana. And then, of course, we'll resume our conversation on North American Union. Back with more. Stay with us. Our economies now are very integrated. Our societies are growing increasingly integrated. What's needed now is a North American idea for all three. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. North American Union is the uh, the subject of Dan Dix and Brian Law's uh, documentary United We Fall, Three Nations, Two Sides, One Union. And uh, the uh, the film takes a look at uh, both sides of the issue. You uh, interview insiders such as members of the ultra-secretive Bilderberg group. How did you get meetings with the Bilderbergers? I mean, there are people who don't even believe that this group exists. Of course they do. I mean, but, they, but uh, the question is, you know, what are they really discussing in those five-star hotels? Are they... You know, planning wars, electing the, uh, choosing the next president, or are they simply playing canasta? Hmm. Uh, but but how did you get a, a meeting with the Bilderbergs, and, and which Bilderberg did you sit down with? Um, well, Alan Gottlieb is a member of the Bilderberg Group, and basically we just ask. We we um, would use a little bit of flattery. Um, we'd say, you know, we've read your documents, we've read your books, um, we're very interested in your opinion on this topic. Um, so that's how we started first starting, uh, started to get the interviews. We would leave my name out of the emails, um, because we knew they would do a bit of a background check on us. And if they, you know, I produced a film called The Nation's Deathbed, 
Um, so we figured we better keep my name out of the emails when we're asking to speak to these people. Um, because just if they you know, Google the name, they'll see that I made that film. They say, well, we're not going to talk to these guys. Um, so that, that, that was another way that we managed to do it. Um, but basically, you know, we, we just asked. All right, let's go to the phones. And uh, Keith in Rochester has rejoined us. Keith, thanks for calling back. Uh, yes, sir. This time I'll give you a spill of what your guest is talking about. In Henrietta, a suburb of Rochester, some years back, a cement company did not want to have to pay what they considered higher wages, so they shut down the plant and consolidated their operations at the far end, at least for us, of Lake Superior. In doing so, since they were the major customer of a railroad spur, the railroad company shut that spur down, and there were a row of small businesses, including a ceramics firm, that without that very important spur, they had to start closing down, and all of that became open field. What your guest is talking about, certainly in our country and maybe in yours, is the true decimation of the middle class. In the same way that the Pennsylvania caller was saying very correctly that our young people don't know anything about history, my exact question is, how are we going to stop this when our young people especially do not have any background in this? And my judgment is that people are becoming soft, they're fully embracing socialism, with our American debt of $14 trillion, we are completely beholden to powers like China, but even the communists like in Beijing are, are better embracing capitalism than many of the freer countries in the world. And your guest is correct, is completely correct. There is a complete leveling of the field going against Western modern nations like America and Canada. And that's my question. How do we stop this true doom from taking place? We've got to wake up people, but as the Pennsylvania caller said, most people are completely asleep, and this is going to go on until maybe it's too late. Keith in Rochester, thanks for the call as always, my friend. All right, uh, Dan, Brian, anyone want to respond? Yeah, I, I can respond to that. I've been tackling with this since day one. How do you wake people up? How do you take people, like I'm, I'm 25 years old, how do you take people in my age range, 16 to 25, and wake them up to geopolitics? It's not an interesting issue. Most people don't really want to talk about politics. They're not really informed about it. And there's a 49% turnout in voters in Canada. If only less than half of the people in Canada who can vote actually go out and vote. And I think... You know, you got to find a way to reach people through uh, new forms of media. I think people these days are getting more of their media from the Internet. They're looking to the Internet for information because it's quicker, it's easier, and it's free. And they're not looking to pay a lot of money to get it. And that's why this film is going to be released for free on July 1st on Canada Day uh, on the Internet so people can see the film and the information. And I do, I honestly do think that this is an info war. I think once enough people know what's going on, enough people will know that they're not going to be compliant with a system that's corrupt. And I think we can win over the younger generation of people by getting them interested in these topics again, by uh, trying to bridge that gap between, you know, they think that, that politics are boring. Well, how do you get how do you get a young generation of people interested in in this type of stuff? Well, you got to find a way to to relate to uh, a younger audience, I think. And I think, you know, history and stuff like that isn't something that's really talked about a lot by our generation, but I in my experience in in the last 2 years in making this film, I think I think there's a lot of people who are waking up to this. I think a lot of people are starting to 
uh, find themselves marginalized, and people that I meet on an everyday basis and talk about this, I think people are starting to wake up to this stuff. They're starting to realize 9-11 isn't adding up. They're starting to realize this economic crash isn't adding up. They're starting to see the effect of of super capitalism, of big bankers taking advantage of 95, 99% of the public is, is poorer than the top 1%. And I think people are starting to see how shifted this has become and they're going to fight back. Well, I think one of the, uh, it was the caller from Pennsylvania who, who talked about, you know, the decimation of the trade unions. But I think that's a, looking at this from sort of the left, right, labor versus uh, I don't know, labor versus conservative uh, is a mugs game. I think mm-hmm. that's an illusion because what we have at the top, we have socialism for the very rich, you know, corporate welfare where the, the, uh, the you know, the, the credit card companies and the banks get bailed out and we have capitalism for the very poor uh, where it's, you know, uh, 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 sort of the law of the jungle at the very, at the very bottom of the, uh, the food chain. Uh, and if you look at the labor movement, I mean, no greater advocate for sort of globalization than someone like Tony Blair, labor prime minister in the UK. And Gordon Brown certainly is talking, you know, uh, he's, he's been turfed out, but it doesn't matter. Uh, new boss, same as the old boss. It doesn't matter what political stripe. In order to rise to the top in the political game, you must, by definition, be a globalist. Otherwise, you're not, inclu- you're not allowed into the exclusive club. Yeah. But, the, you know, the... If people think that the labor movement is watching out for them and, and, and is going is is you know the is man is manning the ramparts to defend against this, they're they're sadly mistaken. How do you feel? I, I think it's a false left right paradigm. It's it's just a Hegelian dialectic. You own both sides. If you own both fighters, it doesn't matter who wins the fight. You're gonna you're, it's gonna pay off for you in the end. And I think you know this whole I'm gonna vote blue or no I'm gonna vote red and going to vote conservative and liberal and Republican and Democrat. Like, let's face it, they all stand for the same thing, which is globalizing the economy. Well, what, did, you, so, did you interview anyone like Jack Layton from the NDP up here? I mean, I just find that uh, the opposition has been deathly silent on this. I remember that, you know, the John, uh, the, uh, the, the, the uh, Brian Mulroney, John Turner debates and uh, about NAFTA and John Turner, you know, taking the NAFTA agreement and ripping it up, saying, I'll rip it up if I'm elected. And, of course, when the liberals came into power, they did nothing uh, you know, of the sort. So, I mean, are the NDP, who's, who's, who's raising this ish, issue in, in Canada's parliament? Who's fighting it? Well, <clears throat> nobody really. Um, that, well, I mean, the, the uh, Canadian Action Party has been vocal about this uh, particular issue, um, that's really the only one. Yeah, but let's face it, they're a fringe party. They'll never even elect a member. Uh, uh, but uh, but of the sitting parties, are the are the Bloc Québécois? Uh, I mean, the NDP has uh, their, I believe, Peter Julian is their critic who went around on a tour trying to expose the problems with the SPP. So um, I, I guess I guess you could say the NDP is the only people who have even touched on it a little bit. Yeah, but not very much. All right. Listen, when we come back, we're going to try and uh, reach out to Botswana. Did we make connections over there, Dan? Terrific. Uh, please indulge me. I just got to make sure my niece is safe over there. And then, But she's doing good work, and what she's doing, uh, we need to talk about it. She needs to be commended, and uh, we'll give her a chance to explain why she's over there in uh, Botswana. Claire Kemmel, coming up on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Don't go away. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds, 
We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. Don't turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the sentence I'm speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers and brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders, by our kings and queens. Brainwashed in the open and brainwashed behind the scenes. Live from Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. It's uh, become sort of a, a sport uh, among uh, the uh, the older set to indict young people uh, for not getting involved, and yet we have uh, two young gentlemen in, uh, in studio here uh, who are making a documentary and trying to draw... Uh, attention to uh, North American Union, the dangers of uh, globalization, uh, really dedicated their their lives to doing this, and uh, it's it's well, you you might indict young people maybe for not uh, uh, being aware of uh, certain historical events or putting things in historical context. That that fault really lies with the uh, the public education system. I think young people really want to make a difference. Uh, and and many of them are. Brokaw, uh, um, um, the um, NBC former NBC, Tom Brokaw, the former NBC anchor, wrote, wrote that book. You know, the Greatest Generation, talking about those that served in the Second World War, and they certainly were. But I I know in my heart that uh, if there were uh, to, to uh, arise another uh, another galvanizing moment in history, like a war or something like that, the young people of today would would heed the call they would answer the bell uh and uh we we could say that the the same of our young people that this is the greatest generation and i and uh, i think a, a wonderful example of this is um uh, if i do so say myself is uh my niece uh claire gemmel who is uh, attending the uh, university of guelph studying anthropology and then this summer well, last summer, I think she went down to uh, to Mississippi to help clean out uh, flooded basements and uh, to help the people down there pick up a shovel. And this summer, uh, spring, she decided she was going to head off to uh, Africa, Botswana specifically, to work with uh, orphans, many of them uh, orphaned by uh, AIDS. Um, some of the orphans, I believe, have uh, HIV. Uh, and so she's working with the, these uh, young kids over there and also helping to build houses for these orphans. I'm talking about, you know, mixing cement by hand, laying mortar and bricks by hand in unbelievably hot weather. And uh, we're, also, we're also very proud of her. And uh, I just wanted to also check in to make sure she's safe and sound. And uh, here she is on the line in, I believe it's Gaborone, Botswana. Hello, Claire, are you there? Hi, Uncle Richard, I am, how are you? I'm well, and how are you, more importantly? I'm great. Thank you. And uh, permit me to play uh, uncle here for a moment. Are you getting enough to eat? 
Yes, more than enough. They okay. feed us very well here. All right. And you're, <laughs> and you're safe and you're sound, and, and obviously you've sound... I am. All right. Why did you go... Yes, it's been great. Why did you go to Botswana, Claire? Well, um, I had worked, like you said, in Mississippi with a project at the University of Guelph called Project Serve, um, and as well as doing trips in North America, they do international trips. So Botswana was one of the trips that they offered, and it was um, it was focused on the issue of HIV and AIDS. So I've always kind of been drawn to the issue when I did work over Reading Week in Guelph on HIV and AIDS, so I thought this would be a really great way to learn and see how things are going here. And tell me about the young children that you're working. These are primarily uh, what 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 age? Kindergarten uh, age children? Um, yeah, I'm working actually at the SOS Children's Village in Plokwang in uh, near Haverone, and these children range from zero all the way up until 19, where we'll put them in a youth house where they're semi-independent on their own, and then once they reach the age of 20, they move out into the community. Um, so my friend Alex and I are working at the kindergarten. So we're working with children. It's also a preschool, so ages uh, three months to six years old. And, and so, they are wonderful. And what's your typical day when you're not uh, sweating out in the hot sun building houses? What's your typical day like with these children? <laughs> with the children? Well, we'll go at about 8.30 when they all arrive at school. And we'll do their morning songs with them, do spiritual songs every morning in prayer. Uh, then they do different activities, like they'll do playtime together and learn how to share and respect other people. They'll do lessons like counting. We've been working with a lot of the older kids on how to do their numbers. Uh, they'll have breakfast and lunch. They're fed very well. We've also been doing a project where we've been painting color wheels on the wall with the kids. So we did a secondary and a primary color wheel. And that's been great because they get to see their own work up on the wall, and it's permanent. And so do these really children? Really do these children? These children have been orphaned by AIDS. In other words, their parents were uh, died as a result of AIDS. Is that the case? Some of them, yes. In the case of the kindergarten, some of the kids are from the SOS village. In which case, they are either orphaned, vulnerable, or destitute children. So, in some way, shape, or form, they've been affected by HIV or AIDS. Um, and then there's also other children who come from the community of Klokwang who may have parents. Um, others come from a family strengthening program, which is part of the village, the SOS village. And what that does is they go out into the community and they assess these families who are in need, maybe their child-headed families who have been orphaned or grandparent-headed families who the grandkids' parents have died from HIV, and they assess them and make sure that these children are getting everything that they need. So... There's a big focus on the children in the community, which is great. Claire Gemmel is uh, on the line from yes. Botswana, and uh, she's there with Project Serve Botswana. Tell me about the—now, you're helping to build these houses for these orphans. That yes. must be incredibly back-breaking work. It, that is a word to describe it. It is so unbelievably hard. We worked from— underground up. We dug a trench um, 10 and a half meters by three and a half meters, two and a half feet deep all the way around. Um, we mixed the cement by hand with wheelbarrows, shoveling the material all into one pile and mixing it with water um, just with shovels. That was backbreaking. And then pouring it into the trench, laying the bricks all the way up. We went back this weekend, devoted two weekends to the project. 
um, and we did the plaster on the walls, which was really cool. But yeah, it is unbelievable. How how, how are these hard houses these people work? How are these houses being uh, paid for, uh, uh, Claire? The materials and so forth. Do you need donations? Do you need money? Yes, yes. We're working with an organization, a wonderful organization in Machuti, called Stepping Stones International. They do have a website. You can Google it. And we would not have been able to do this without the help of all of our friends and family donating. Um, so thank you from all of the girls that are here. Thank you from the family who's getting the house. And thank you from Stepping Stones to everyone. There was paint donated. They still need a fence. They still need money for a latrine. And you can go on the Stepping Stones International website to donate. And they will send you a thank you letter over email as well as um, a tax receipt. Now, these tax receipts are from the U.S. because it is a company that's from the States, but they should be able to be used in Canada. So anyone who'd like to donate, we're still looking for a few more materials. Stepping Stones International? Yes. All right. And, uh, Claire, for those that are interested in following your adventure, exploits, uh, you've got a blog. It's Claire, that's mm-hmm. C-L-A-I-R-E, Claire with an E, hyphen botswana.blogspot.com. And there they can... Do you have the pictures posted from of the house build there? Um, I'm still working on that, and we also have more from this weekend. And I also wanted to say that Stepping Stones is going to be posting some of the photos, as well as they're going to be making a Facebook group. So if you wanted to follow us on Facebook when we do eventually get that up, that would be great. And there's always families in need. Um, these are families who are orphaned by HIV and AIDS who often have children and and, and there's always someone who's needing a home. So follow us on the internet and we'd be happy that people are interested. Well, Claire, I'm so proud of you. The whole family's so proud of you and um, we love you and um, I know you'll be flying Thank home you. soon, so come home safe and sound yeah. and I'm sure you'll you'll carry these memories for the rest of your life. You, you'll um, And I'm sure you're going to leave a few of your own memories over there. Yes, I will. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye, Claire Bear. Oops, I shouldn't have said that. I love you. Bye. Claire. She's my Claire Bear. All right. We'll uh, come back and uh, resume our discussion on uh, North American Union with Brian Law and Dan Dix. Get on board. 416-360-0740 and out of town. Toll free. 1-866-744-740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. All right, North American Union is the uh, topic du jour. Are you for it? Are you against it? Are you worried about it? What will Canada look like the day after North American Union becomes a reality? What, what, um, uh, Dan Dix and Brian Law are uh, in studio with me, and their website is www.pressfortruth.ca. Uh, the doc is United We Fall Again. It is premiering, the worldwide theatrical premiere, Friday, June 18th at the Bloor Cinema in Toronto. But it'll also be available online for free on Canada Day. 
such as the the conviction of uh, these two gentlemen. They'll, they're willing to give it away for free as long as the information gets out. And uh, they've interviewed uh, people from the uh, Trilateral Commission, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergs. Uh, and it's interesting that these, um, these uh, elites, these movers and shakers, how willing they are to talk openly about these things, almost as if they're dying to tell somebody about their handiwork. And yet, even though, I mean, we know about this, this um, corridor, this um, trans-North American corridor that's being built, in fact, the, uh, the, throne, the speech from the throne in uh, Manitoba to open the, uh, the Manitoba Provincial Legislature a few years ago, they spoke directly uh, to this issue. It was mentioned directly by the, uh, the lieutenant, uh, lieutenant uh, governor in Manitoba about this, this corridor that's being constructed. And yet, when Prime Minister Stephen Harper was asked about it uh, at the SPP summit in Montebello, which was 2008, I think, 2007, Seven. yes, he, he not only did deny it, he denied it, the construction of it, he tried to ridicule it and, and make some, you know, joke about, uh, and, and there aren't any aliens landing uh, on Parliament Hill anytime soon either, ha, ha, ha. Like, on the one hand, how can someone like that deny its existence when other government bodies are talking openly about it? I, I don't understand the disconnect here. It's, it's doublespeak, or Orwell put it quite plainly. It's doublespeak. You can say one thing in the moment later. You can say the exact opposite thing just to kind of quash the issue. And uh, it's as simple as that. I mean, the facts are out there. I mean, you, you were saying these people talk about it so openly. Um, I, they talk about it openly because all of the information that we have in the film is, is public information. I mean, you know, besides stuff in terms of like the, the secretive Bilderberg group, I mean... They always claim that they're getting together just to discuss issues uh, that that matter around the world. But let's face it, they're not getting together with you know seven security agencies guarding them in in secrecy to discuss the weather. They're getting together to discuss issues, to to discuss the creation of wars, the creation of single uh, economies, global economies. I mean, they're discussing really really big stuff and. You know, in terms of that secrecy, yeah, that, that stuff is extremely secret. Council on Foreign Relations, tri Trilateral Commission, the information is out there. It's just people don't know where to get it yet. And that's, that's where we have to bridge the gap. We have to get people aware of these issues. And I think, I think the, the train will leave the station on its own. Marie is in Toronto. Good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Marie. Hi, Richard. Hi there. Uh, I have so much to say. First of all... Um you know, we don't live in a socialist uh, society. This is a very fascist society. Well, socialism and fascism, same, uh, you know, two sides of the same coin. They're absolutely intrinsically related. Maybe related, but there's a big difference. The corporations mm. do run the government. It was called, it was called this, uh, the fascism is, was national socialism. The Nazi is national socialist movement. Well, this reminds me of a, na of a Nazi government. Mm -hmm. Honest to God, the control... It is so total, um, they control your phones, uh, they can film you through your TVs, through those little, one of those little pixels. Um, they open all your mail. Um, you know, and the poor kids, I, I find that the kids in the high schools are very interested. Only it starts uh, right at the top uh, with the leaders of uh, all the parties. The NDP doesn't do anything because they've either been paid off or threatened. 
and it go trickles right down to uh, the heads of the police, and then uh, the rats on the ground, and that's why you have all these kids uh, shooting each other, knifing and stabbing each other, and it's really all about drugs. That 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 corridor is really the drug corridor. It runs from Mexico and it goes right through the uh, United States and comes right into Canada. There's no borders. There's no cops to pay off, so they're getting rid of all the middlemen. And it's just the government uh, is really running the whole drug trade while they're putting innocent kids in jail for an ounce of a pot. Well, I, I, I read Dope, Inc., which was um, uh, put together by the editors of Executive Intelligence Re- Review. And, uh, you know, we, we've heard the argument that the reason that uh, we're over in Afghanistan is to protect the, the, the poppy, uh, the opium trade. But what's never been made clear to me is, is this, and I don't understand. Uh, these, uh, these elites, the, the drug money and the illegal arms money is absolute chump change. It's not. When, when, listen, it is when you consider that, that they can essentially create money out of thin air using, this, using fiat money. Uh, so I don't, I okay, mean, I understand. But, but that chump change keeps the, 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 the population on the streets in line. Well, that, no, that's a valid point. I mean, if, if you want to argue that it's like the, uh, the, uh, the, the opium wars revisited, uh, when uh, you know the British imperialists were flooding uh, uh, the Chinese mainland with opium as part of the sort of the, you know the dumbing down and and, and control that makes sense. But to, but to, to argue that it's being you know that's it's, how it's, they control the people. That's how they control the kids. Do you know that we've did did away with with statutes? So now that if ki- if a kid does something today, ten years from now he can go to jail for it. Uh, and that's how they're controlling people. They work with all the all, all the rats. So you rat out on somebody, and, and either you go to jail or you go work with the police, and then uh, you 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 deal drugs for them, uh, or, or or you know like they have. There's you know it's just like the top and the bottom. They're all two-faced liars. All and, right, Marie, I, I appreciate the call. Thank you for that. Uh, do you, did you did any of your research lead you to the same conclusion that Marie just brought up that that, that this is really about uh, running drugs from Mexico up into to Canada? Well, I, I didn't really focus too much on the drug trade, but I can speak on drug laws. My father's a, a retired police officer of thirty five years. I mean, you want to talk about enforcing unjust policies on people. I mean, you bring drugs into a country, regardless if you make money on them, all you need to do is write laws making those drugs illegal, get them out on the streets, and now you can make criminals out of a large portion of the population. So if you want to talk about controlling people, you can get them hooked on a very addictive drug like crack cocaine, for example. There's a great movie that just came out uh, that was out called The American Drug War. Yes, I had, uh, I had the, uh, the director uh, on, on the program. Yeah, and it was a great film. It explained everything right down to the right down to the T. The, the CIA controlled uh, the intake of drugs and cocaine into the country. They distribute it to poor populations, and they write laws saying that you know there's a war on drugs. It's not a war on drugs. It's a war on people. And that's right. I mean, you had these privately owned corporations like Wackenhut, yeah, uh, which has now changed its name. Uh, they're, they're actually a publicly traded company. So that the more prisoners they have in their jails, the greater the stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it's in their interest, obviously, to incarcerate more people. And they have the local these wagon huts, uh, these uh, maximum security, privately run jails, locate in places that have been you know the Rust Belt places that have no more industry. So they are the only industry. So they enlist the local sheriff's department to round up as many uh, people on drug charges as they possibly can. 
run them through the courts, uh, you know, public defenders and so forth. They fill their jails, their stock prices go up. And it's it's really sick when you think about it. I mean, if, if there's ever a, a measure of, uh, you know, an unhealthy society, I would have to say that if you're incarcerating people for profit, uh, yeah, that's that's not a good sign. Barry is in uh, is in Calgary. Welcome to uh, the Conspiracy Show, Barry. Yes, good evening. Uh, growing up in the 1950s, we were in school. We were taught uh, citizenship classes, and uh, then the 1960s rolled around, and all the values that we had been indoctrinated in during the 50s were turned on their head in the 1960s, especially in the second half of that uh, tumultuous decade. So my question for your guests, Richard, is this. Uh, In order for me to be a so-called model citizen in this North American Union under the rubric of the New World Order, what are the sort of values that I would have to be seen to subscribe to in order to show conformity? Good question, Barry. Thanks from check for checking in from Calgary. Uh, Brian, Dan? Good question. Compliance to authority, I think, would be one model citizen thing for a New World Orderly. Be compliant to authority figures. Uh, I, I think in this day and age, most people have forgotten what their inalienable human rights are, what their civil rights are as as uh, uh, citizens in a country. They've forgotten about, you know, what they have uh, in what they already have in order to stand up against authority figures. The police are not here to uh, they're not supposed to be here to hold you down. They're supposed to be here to protect you in the moment that you have police officers demanding identification from people, you know, all of this stuff that comes, I think, part and parcel with a with a global community. I think, you know, some of the stuff that, that you're going to see kids getting taught, and it's, it's left, right, and center, it's all over the media, is just, in general, globalization. We live in a global economy now. Everything is, is global. We can't think local anymore. We have to think of, you know, in ter- they use global warming as the perfect example to villainize all of humanity and you know, turn it on its head and say, okay, well, we are now the enemy. And, and, you know, in order to be part of this global economy, we all need to make changes. We all have a carbon footprint. And, you know, well, what, what emits carbon? Human beings emit carbon. Well, we're overpopulated. So they're talking, you know, there was a person, uh, I think, uh, in Canada that was uh, wrote an article talking about implementing a one-child policy globally uh, in terms of this global new world order yes, economy. Yes. and. It's always amazed me that the, the, the people that go to the... We have the G20, of course, coming to town, G8. The people that go and protest the G20 and the G8 are also the same people often that embrace this, you know, Kyoto and uh, 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 failing to realize, I, I, I think, that it's the same people that are pushing globalization that are, that are pushing what I, I see as this phony uh, man-made global warming hoax. It's the same group, they, yet... The protesters don't, don't don't appreciate the disconnect. Well, it's hard to connect the dots sometimes. I mean, if they look up the Club of Rome, the Club of Rome will clearly list off that, you know, when they were looking for something to villainize humanity, they came up with the idea that global warming and climate change would be the perfect villain because, you know, you can't escape that. If the climate's changing, well, climates don't recognize borders. Therefore, we need global regulations on this and we need global sets of rules. Well, how do you enforce that? You need global police to enforce that. Well... Who are they accountable to now? How do you vote? How do you get a say in who enforces you? And these are questions they're not answering yet, and they're pushing ahead with 
global enforcement policies without answering these questions, which I think is going to, you know, is going to be detrimental. United We Fall, back with Dan Dix and Brian Law in a moment here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Poking holes in the darkness. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Call me a dinosaur, but I still believe in the nation state. I like borders. I've never considered myself a citizen of the world. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd love to uh, to travel, um, but um, I always want there to be a Canada, and I want there to be a France, and I want there to be a Botswana, and I want you to have to travel through customs, and I want you to have a passport, and I want a passport to mean something, and I want citizenship to mean something. Uh, but um, unfortunately, uh, I think there are enough people out there who uh, don't seem to care about that anymore. They think that the nation state is the enemy. The nation state is responsible for the world's uh, problems, uh, wars, etc. And that we may, maybe we need to move beyond that and, and look to a more sort of planetary uh, civilization. Uh, and then, of course, now we have uh, people who are sort of worshipping the planet, a Mother Earth, the whole Gaia movement uh, that... Uh, the earth is uh, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get overtly religious here, but this is, uh, I, th- I think, one of the main problems. You cannot really have true freedom and liberty unless you, you, uh, unless you uh, believe in a creator because that's where we get inalienable rights from. If inalienable rights stem from politicians from humans, then they're not inalienable. If they're given to you by a human, then they can be taken away. But if they're given to you by the Creator, nobody can take them away. Except perhaps um, using the business end of a rifle. Which brings me to the second point. Number one, you have to believe in a Creator. And number two, if you want true freedom and liberty, you have to have um, the right to own a gun. Sorry, but the Second Amendment, although it's been pretty well uh, frittered away, you, uh, you have to have the ability to protect yourself and your family, and you can't cede that right to the government. They would rather that you call 911 and cower under the bed. Um, those may not be very popular sentiments, God and guns, but they go hand in hand. And without them, You can't have true freedom. All right, Frank is in Buffalo. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Yeah, thank you. Great great show, guys. Um, I was just wondering, you know, I've um, read uh, different articles over the year, books and uh, TV shows about this, and I was just wondering, and I know this might be a tough question, what do you think the world would look like if the, quote, powers that be were able to implement everything that, that they would like to? Now, I know it would take... A number of years, but would we um, would we lose? We obviously would lose a lot of our 
freedoms, but would it be obvious? Would it be sort of like a totalitarian state, or would it be more subtle, where we would think, have the illusion of we're free, but we're really not? Um, um, I'd appreciate uh, your opinion on that. Thank you. Thanks, Frank and Buffalo. Well, it's tough to say, you know, it's really tough to say, but I believe it was, uh, I think, George Orwell who said, you know, picture uh, a boot stomping on a human face uh, forever. <laughs> I tend to like that analogy, but uh, it's really tough to say, you know, h- how this thing is going to look in the future. How, I mean, what more do you want? Uh, habeas corpus has been suspended. I mean, that's the major, that's a pretty major plank in sort of, uh, you know, a democratic, a free democratic uh, uh, nation, the end of habeas corpus. You now have uh, the uh, the U.S. administration okaying the the assassination of U.S. citizens. They can target U.S. citizens for assassination. Uh, we have rumors, some I think are fairly well substantiated, of these FEMA camps uh, going up all across the United States. Who knows what they're building here in case of civil unrest. I think we're getting pretty close to that Orwellian uh, analogy. I don't know, uh, uh, Brian? Well, I, I always I always think it's kind of a blend between Aldous Huxley's Brave New World and, and 1984 for people who are, uh, you know, taking their soma, they're happy, they're, you know, completely uh, complacent and apathetic to what's going on in society. I, I don't think there's going to be too much of a threat. I think it's, I think it's the people who stand up and say, hey, you know, I, I, I want my ability to vote. I want... I want my ability to stand up for my rights. I want to be able to walk down the street without being told to surrender my papers to somebody. I think those are the people who all of a sudden it turns from a a total utopian society of ignorance into a dystopia of, you know, trying to trying to I guess clamor for your freedoms again and and so I think it's kind of a blend between the two of them. I think most people right now who are who are, you know, they use the term, you know, asleep or haven't woken up to a lot of this information. You know they don't they don't know what's going on, so their life isn't really affected by any of these issues as far as they know. They just kind of go along with the flow of things. If crisis happens, they think it's a natural occurrence and will go along with what the politicians say. But the moment you stand up for it and say, "No, wait a minute this this is fishy, there's something's going on here, and the moment you start to feel alienated from society and you stand up and say, "Wait, I want an investigation on this. I want my say heard. I want my rights stood up for then they say sit back down and be compliant. And or you end up on a no-fly list. You end up on a no-fly list. You end up on a bunch of lists and you end up, you know, being targeted all of a sudden. And, you know, no one wants to be targeted. People just want to be free. And it's until people start standing up for their freedoms, they're not going to realize what's being taken away. Well, there's a very uh, appropriate saying, and that is if uh, when you fear, when your government fears you, that's democracy. And when you fear the government, that's tyranny. I think most people fear the government, even here in Canada, because they have, you know, Revenue Canada is, is, uh, is a bludgeon to be used. Uh, I, I think most people are in fear of their government. Oh, yeah, Would absolutely. You, that's tyranny then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Soft, we have soft totalitarianism in this country. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's fair to say. I think most people are... are compliant to authority figures in general they're compliant to you know police officers and if they're asked to do anything they'll they'll do it just because they're asked to do it and that's kind of what you've been told being raised you know there's authority figures they have authority above you if they ask you to do something it's it's a feudal state is what it is it's built kind of in a pyramidal structure where you have people at the top controlling more and more people at the bottom and the people at the bottom aren't aware that there's people above them making policy they just take it for granted and i think it's 
like I said before, I think it's an information war. If people had the information, and if, if the fourth estate was doing their job, we wouldn't have to be doing these types of films. We wouldn't have to be out here if they were reporting on this type of stuff on a regular basis, but they don't. Well, yeah, the fourth estate is dead. You are the fifth estate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that's why we need, uh, we need people like Dan Dix and, and Brian Law. Let's go to Flint, Michigan, and say good morning to Eric. Hello, Eric. Hi there. Hey, Eric. Welcome. Okay. Uh, as I see it, uh, what we have to do is focus on uh, the fact that voting is a joke. The, the elections are entirely rigged. Um, and as uh, Osama, Obi-Wan, Kenobi, Barack told John and Sane McCain this past spring, I think it was, when McCain was complaining about supposedly no transparency, no accountability, uh, Osama, Obi-Wan said, well, that was the campaign season. It's over, so let's get on with it. So it's one lie after another. And here's where I'm focused at the grassroots level. Since everyone, again, is focused on their, their own homegrown primitive patriotism that says, gee, we're the greatest country in the world, and where our generals uh, lead us, we must go, right? So they're in 130-plus countries as an occupying military force to take over the natural resources, war and globalization. There's even a documentary about that. So. What we have to do is locally organize our own think tanks, and knowing that the oath of office is a, is a ver, is an actual legally binding contract via the federal charter of the Constitution in this country, and when they aid and abet the enemy within, as they did twice in October, uh, October November of '08, when they bailed out the Federal Reserve, Wall Street gangster banksters, uh, and their foreign puppet masters in Europe. Then they gave away the U.S. Treasury Bank, the greatest bank robbery in U.S. history, to the same uh, evil uh, uh, monetary warmongers. So what we have to do is prosecute them for aiding and abetting the enemy within, uh, breach of contract, breach of the public trust. This is where it's at. And we cannot rely on them for anything, we have to hold them accountable. We, the real people, who are paying their salaries and unforgivably voting them into office again and again. Where are all the lawyers, though? That's where I, I mean, where are the lawyers that are willing to, 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 to tackle this and to take these cases on? That's where I'd like to know. They're on the take, Richard. What do you mean? The lawyers are the real uh, covert lawmakers. The ones you vote for are not the lawmakers. They're the uh, pretender and actors. In this country, it's all about the Bar Esquire attorney. It's another foreign private corporation. And I'm sure it was created by the Bank of England. So they're defrauding and extorting everyone day by day and getting away with it as if it's some sort of an esteemed profession. Yeah, an esteemed profession of of highway robbery, legalized fraud and extortion. The lawyers are on the take, man. Eric in Flint, Michigan, thanks for the call. Hope you'll check in again. All right, let's say hello to uh, Chris in Toronto. Hello, Chris, good morning. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, AM740. Uh, hi, good morning. Good morning. Hi, I'd like to talk about some, some solutions to, to help reach the young, the young people. All right, go ahead. Yeah, like 
I noticed that the the younger generation, like age 25 and younger, they're more uh, they're uh, they're easily rich by by watching YouTube videos, music, online comics, message boards, uh, those kinds of stuff. Correct. Yeah, and and I would like to to tell anyone out there who's listening who who has any talent in the arts to to embed the messages in their productions like like make music about freedom make art about freedom or or documentaries about freedom like what your guest Dan Dix has been doing those kinds of those kinds of things to make more and more of them all right and and I'd also like to to tell everyone to to, to research something about about the EDSA revolution, if you know about that. Which revolution? EDSA. EDSA, it's E-D-S-A, stands for Epifanio de los Santos Avenue. The EDSA revolution. All right, Chris, thanks for the call. All right, a few moments remain with Dan Dix and Brian Law. United We Fall, the theatrical premiere, Friday, June 18th, 2010. At the Bloor Cinema, that's 506 Bloor Street West here in Toronto, 7 p.m. I'll be presenting, along with Patrick White from Conspiracy Culture, and I'll be conducting a short Q&A session before the film. And then Brian and Dan will be available maybe across the street at a pub or next door at a pub if you want to continue the conversation, continue the revolution. That's how these things started, right? Not too long ago. Yeah. Way up the street at the Jolly Miller Inn with a couple of like-minded individuals and you had the rebellion underway. It wasn't entirely successful, but it was a start. All right. Stay with us. The North American Union on trial. The one group that does get a table at the SPP meetings is business leaders. Behind closed doors, they're hatching plans for superhighways, common currencies, customs unions. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak to Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Uh, next week on the program, Jim Channon. For those of you who saw The Men Who Stare at Goats... Uh, there was a character you know, that, that uh, was portraying uh, Jim Channon in the movie. And uh, Channon was uh, the one that started the first Earth Battalion. He's a re the remote viewer that's featured in the movie. And, of course, that movie is all about the uh, American um, psychic spy program. So Jim Channon from First Earth Battalion will be with us on the program uh, next week. And then the following week, June the 18th, a two-hour special on Lyme disease. And uh, I tell you, this is a real epidemic. And it's an epidemic that you haven't probably even heard of. You might be familiar somewhat with, uh, with Lyme disease, but not uh, the actual extent uh, and, and the other diseases that it can cause. Lyme disease has now been linked to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's disease, even heart disease. And here's the, uh, the chilling part. From what I'm told, you can't even get a proper test in Ontario. And doctors can't even 
give you the proper test, they're banned from giving you the proper test, and they're banned from giving you the proper treatment. But there are a few doctors that are sort of flying under the radar. Uh, so you learn all about Lyme disease in uh, two weeks' time. All right, Dan Dix and Brian Law are with us for a few moments yet as uh, we discuss their latest film, a documentary that premieres June 18th at the Blur Cinema in Toronto, United We Fall. Uh, I presented Alex Jones' uh, documentary at the Review Cinema in town uh, a couple of years ago called Endgame. And, uh, I mean, that's a pretty bleak, a pretty bleak picture of what he thinks is, is what we're, what's, you know, coming at us down the road. And North American Union is part of it. It's sort of a first step. And this, as I mentioned earlier, this trans, this, uh, this corridor that's going to run from Mexico up into Canada where they'll actually close off all, all of these exits to these small towns and herd people into the bigger cities where we'll be have, you know, un, under increased scrutiny with security cameras and uh, you know, biometric identification. It'll be really Orwellian. Do you think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that bleak eventually? Is that what's in store? I mean, obviously, we'd like to remain, you know, optimistic and say that it isn't. But, uh, you know, when you study the the global elite's track record, it definitely seems to look like this is uh, the direction that we are heading. Um, is depopulation part of the North American Union's uh, bigger picture? Well, that's always been a big, you know, part of the plan, absolutely. And that's why they push the myth of uh, overpopulation. Um, so that is definitely, you know, part of the, the eugenics movement that Alex Jones exposes in that film. Um, that's definitely a big, very big part of the agenda. How do, how do we, um, we learn about these, the, the inner workings of this uh, North American uh, uh, union, like formerly called the SPP? These, these bureaucrats that are working on different aspects, I mean, can you get the minutes of their meetings through FOIA? Well, most of their most of their their meetings are are made public. Uh, they they release minutes uh, on their websites. Uh, you can go on there if you want to look at the American website spp.gov or the Canadian website is spp-psp.gc.ca, and you can sign on and look at exactly what they talk about on there. Um, you know, they even have a myths and facts section on the American website. I don't even think it's completely accurate because we've heard stuff on the website that's listed as you know, a myth, and, and we've had it confirmed by the, from the horse's mouth as a fact, you know, people saying nothing was signed in 2005. Well, we have in the film Paul Martin saying he signed an agreement. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how, how much more direct you can get from that, a webmaster saying it's a myth or the guy who was there in the room saying he signed something. You have, I mean, you have former Prime Minister, you have the Right Honourable Paul Martin on videotape saying, yes, we signed an agreement. Yeah, yes. I, I questioned yeah. him, um, where was that, Wilfred Laurier, I believe it was, and I said, you know, uh, you signed the SPP uh, without, uh, you know, any kind of a referendum from the people. And I said, Mr. Martin, as a, as a former, you know, a Bilderberg attendee, um, can you please explain to me what your intentions were when you signed the SPP on behalf of the Canadian people? And he stood there and he made a little bit of joke and he said, well, you know, I only, I mean, I was invited to a Bilderberg meeting, but just because I go to a... Uh, Maple Leaf game doesn't mean I'm a Maple Leaf fan. And if everybody started laughing, so he just kind of brushed off the topic. Right. But then he did say, you know, uh, yes, uh, the SPP was signed uh, at Waco uh, in Texas uh, in 2005. So he, he admitted it to it right yeah. then and there. 
You said you are correct with that part of the question. I mean, that can't get any more direct than that. Yes, it was signed. You are correct with that. I mean, but then you go on the website and it says nothing was signed. This is a myth. I mean, this is all the this doublespeak disinfo stuff that's going on on these official government websites. So, I mean, when you when you see stuff like that, how how you have to take it with a grain of salt everything else they're claiming is a myth and what they're discussing there. So, and, and also, uh, former Mexican President Vincente Fox, he was on Larry King a couple of years ago mm-hmm. after he left office. And he talked openly about it and, and even said, yes, the, the one, one common currency is in the plans. It's down the road. It's going to be a while, but it's in the plans. Yeah. Again, how much more open can you be about well, it? Well, he even says in the film as well, we got mm-hmm. some foot, great footage from Luke Radowski and We Are Change in New York. Asked him directly, you know, will there be a North American Union? And he said, you know, yes, I hope there will be. It would be great for all of us. I mean, I, I don't know how much, you know, it's not conspiracy theory. It's just conspiracy you know, and, and people don't really understand what conspiracy even means anymore. It's not it's not it's a, a theory. It's a crime. Antitrust yeah. lawyers deal in conspiracy. It's yes. a criminal act. It's not it's not a theory. What we're doing is alleging criminal activity amongst a group of elites, a plutocracy. I say that globalization isn't a conspiracy. It's a process. Mm-hmm. It's so incremental and in, almost imperceptibly so uh, that it's uh, it's just it's. It's almost like there's no one necessarily behind it. It's just sort of the synthetic beast, you know. It's uh, it's almost the natural conclusion of of the capitalist system. Mm-hmm. You know, once the smaller companies get beaten eaten up by the middle, the medium sized companies, and then the big companies, and eventually, you know, they start feeding on themselves, and there's nothing left to consume. Then uh, yeah, then what what happens when you have six and a half billion people who wake up to the fact that they're getting screwed over by a lot of this stuff well you can't control seven eight nine billion people as effectively as you can control let's say 500 million so when you're talking about depopulation i mean anybody that's listening to this google search agenda 21 this is not something that's secret this is a a, uh a sustainable development program where they talk about depopulating the earth to make it more inhabitable for the remaining people. This is a, a United Nations plan. It's it's public. You can read all of this. You just have to look for it. You have to be interested in looking for it. All right. Let's check in with our uh, our good friend uh, Nelson Thal, who joins us. Uh, hey, Nelson. How are you? Good. How are you doing, Richard? Great I'm well. To be thank back you. on. What's up, my friend? Well, there's sure a lot going on behind the scenes uh, that I've been covering at Cloak and Dagger, and um, it's really exciting this week. You wouldn't want to let it go by without talking about this and how Obama now has admitted that the catastrophe in the Gulf was man-made, no accident. And um, I really think we should mark it, as I did on the night of 9-11 on CFRB, I said that it was a, 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 a Reichstag fire number two, an inside job. Uh, now, Obama's basically telling us that, yes, this uh, Gulf leak is also uh, a Reichstag fire underwater. And, and, and what were his exact words? An underwater words? Reichstag fire. That, we were looking for 9-11 elsewhere, Detroit, elsewhere. It was right in the Gulf. Well, what, what was the, the language that he used? That well, he Obama. said it was man-made catastrophe. A man-made... And he said he was on top of the situation. And what's interesting is the amphibology, Richard. Amphibology are these double-sensed words. He says he's on top of the situation. It was a man-made catastrophe. They've always told us, but it's a double-sensed word. Bush was an expert in amphibology, double-sensed words. But Okay, but not to, 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 to quibble the point too much, but... 
uh, man-made, well, of course, everyone would agree that it was uh, it was either a human error or a design problem, or that's a man-made catastrophe. Well, I think it's important to understand the other environment going on around it, and the fact that a Kenyan now's name is being brought before there's arguments before the Supreme Court of America, uh, listen, uh, deciding on whether or not this guy is uh, legally the president. I mean, what a distraction this has been from those Supreme Court cases. Sherman Skolnick would want us to take a look at that one, because right now it's before and Scalia has agreed to hear the case of the eligibility of Steve Dunham as President of the United States. So there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I mean, I wouldn't be don't think that uh, that Obama was not behind this uh, this inside attack and behind the whole thing. Well, coincidentally, uh, Nelson, we I- know what's really going on. Come on, Richard. The, the, the poll question on uh, richardserrett.com is exactly that. Do you think the BP oil rig spill in the Gulf of Mexico was deliberate? And uh, so far we have uh, 50% saying yes, 25% saying no, and 25% not sure. Nelson, uh, the uh, cloak and dagger, uh, what's on uh, – well, it's, it's a shock talk with uh, uh, Lenny Bloom and uh, Miss Steele. What's on uh, this week? Well, I think the same thing you're talking about, because we take a look at um, uh, the, the NAFTA, and um, it's important to realize that uh, McLuhan and O'Driscoll both said that they've always used, uh, Rome has always used ideologies to manipulate the masses for the benefit of Rome, and they always used the Hegelian dialectic structure, uh, st- uh, structure behind their actions. So many say that the power brokers in Rome are using the ideology of continentalism to drive the masses to the regionalism, a.k.a. Union of Great Lakes States. We must remember the governors of the Great Lakes States have met with the premiers and have held regular meetings. So you really got this, uh, this dialectic that's been driven both from the same source out of Rome. Shock Talk with uh, Bloom and Steel. That's Thursday nights, and you can uh, you can check out uh, the program at cloakanddagger.ca. Hey, Nelson, we've got to get you back in studio here sometime soon. Always good to talk to you. Thanks a lot. Just real pleasure, and keep up the great work. All right, Nelson Thaw. Uh, Dan Dix and Brian Law, I guess, um, well, that's about it, but we'll uh, we'll see you guys uh, Friday, June the 18th at the uh, the World Theatrical Premiere at the Bloor Cinema. And again, uh, screening is at uh, 7 o'clock, but there'll be a short uh, a Q&A at uh, around 6.30, and I'll be presiding over that. And then uh, we'll watch the film, and then they can, if people want to go across the road and have a, a beer with Brian Law and Dan Dix and discuss the film further, yep. uh, and they can also uh, check out uh, the website, pressfortruth.ca. Mm-hmm. The movie will be uh, uh, available online for free on Canada Day, and the movie, of course, is United We Fall. Mm-hmm. Good we'll work. Also, we'll also be there after the show as well. As people see a, something in the film they want a question, we'll be there immediately after the show for about 10 or 15 minutes answering questions as well. So, That's right. Yeah. There'll be a Q&A following the film as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they can continue the party elsewhere. Exactly. Gentlemen, good work. Keep up the fight. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. All right. Listen, back next week again with uh, Jim Channon, who was uh, his character featured in The Men Who Stared Goats. It's all about remote viewers. This is the guy that started the 1st Battalion uh, Army. And uh, we'll, ch- we'll, uh, we'll talk to him. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops, move over, Aphrodite. 
I'm coming home. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.